You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Recorded in Chicago, Illinois, with your hosts, Ken, Matt, Neil, and Jeff, this is Triviality. The cream of the crop! Hello and welcome to Triviality, the game where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. My name is Jeff and I will be your host today. Joining me in the studio are Ken and Neil. How are you guys doing today? Hey, what's up? What's going on? Not too much. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. Today we're changing the format, so it's like the game with Michael Douglas, the Fincher movie, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. just making sure. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's a good ending. If you don't know the ending, don't look it up. Just watch the movie. <laughs> yeah. Good start. Yeah, good start. <laughs> and uh, joining me through the interwebs, uh, I'll start with our cruiserweight champion, Laura Scafati. How are you doing today, Laura? Hey, good. How are you? And you're coming to us from uh, Dover, New Hampshire, that's correct? That's right. All right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into trivia, and uh, how you found our show? Sure. So um, how I got into trivia, I started going to a bunch of trivias in one week. It was a trivia pub crawl back when I lived in Manchester, New Hampshire. So we went to a bunch of them. And then from there, I just really started loving trivia, started seeking out uh, podcasts to do with trivia. And um, that was back in 2014. So sounds like a serious test of your like uh, trivia metal and also your sobriety because <laughs> you're going from oh, one true. to another doing one trivia after another oh man <laughs> yeah we can barely keep on top of the one we try to go to a week and this is just coffee yeah that's true <laughs> well and you'll you'll see laura in 2019 on the zombie trivia pub crawl where everyone's dressed as zombies doing trivia <laughs> on a pub crawl i would be totally on board for that <laughs> let's do this all right and also joining us our intercontinental champion william travis coming from irving texas how you doing william hey great to be on Glad to have you. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, your, your backstory, how you got into trivia and, and the like. So I'm a tax attorney from Irving, Texas. Um, getting into trivia, I during high school, I did probably the dorkiest trivia variant ever. I was on the uh, Kurtaman team in Latin class. Oh. So basically, they will ask you a whole bunch of questions about Latin, Roman history. They'll ask some questions in Latin and you buzz in. Uh, it's kind of like if you ever saw that movie, The Emperor's Club. Yeah. Except it, it wasn't dorky enough that we had to wear togas or anything. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was that was my sort of quiz bowl equivalent that I got into. Uh, Lucky in for you, Jeff's questions are all Latin related today. <laughs> oh, sweet. Oh, I took Latin. <laughs> We're in trouble. We're in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, that I, well, it's it's appreciated that you're wearing a toga today uh, on camera. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, well, uh, you can't prove otherwise. Well, right. Uh, well, you guys <laughs> chose a, a great name uh, for your team. Why don't you let us know what that is? So it's a death and taxes because I am a tax accountant and he's a tax attorney. So it made sense. A, a state tax attorney also. <laughs> yeah, I, I deal with lots of dead people. So literally death. Death and taxes. <laughs> well, today's episode brought to you by M. Night Shyamalan. Well, our uh, our team name, me and Neil, is going to be a little morbid as well. Um, I uh, went to the movies early uh, yesterday with Neil's brother, and we saw Mortal Engines by, by his request. And uh, suffice to say, it's the worst movie I've seen all year. But uh, <laughs> to make matters worse, the uh, screen actually went down with about five minutes left in the movie. So it's incomplete. I've seen about 95% of it, and uh, now I'm uh, just like 
hanging on the edge, waiting to waiting to finish it due to my completionist nature. But I don't want to because it's terrible. <laughs> but uh, Morbid <laughs> Engines will be our name. That sounds good. Uh, well, maybe when you see the last 5%, it'll have like a complete turnaround. Uh, it'll be the most brilliant ending of all one, time. One could hope. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, before we get started, just want to say uh, thank you to both uh, Laura and William uh, for being a Patreon supporter. We really appreciate all the support over there. Yeah, my pleasure. <laughs> uh, if you guys would like to, to join them, you can go to patreon.com slash trivialitypodcasts where we have a brand new set of updated perks. Uh, and uh, we'd love to uh, get your support over there. Uh, new bonus episodes uh, once a month, uh, as, as well as uh, opportunities to be on the show, whether recorded or uh, as a contestant. So, All right. Well, I think if we're all ready, let's get it started by throwing it to the rules, guys. <laughs> the rules of the game are simple. 20 questions split into two rounds worth 10 points apiece. At halftime, there'll be a special swing round designed by this week's host. After regulation, players will enter the final round with the points that they've accumulated and will have a chance to wager 0 to 30 points on five categorized questions. At the end of the game, someone will be named the cream of the crop. The cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. All right, ready to get started here, Jeff? Yeah, I think so. Without further ado, uh, let's start with question one. Uh, William Shakespeare is famous for his wit and for some of the most enduring turns of phrase in the English language. In an exchange between Shylock and Portia, Portia states that as repayment for Antonio's debt, Shylock, as per their agreement, is entitled to a pound of flesh from Antonio, but must do so without drawing blood. In which Shakespearean play does this exchange occur? We'll just go ahead and lock in. Yeah, it's <laughs> Merchant of Venice, right? Um, sure. <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure me. that's the one. Yeah, lock uh, it in then. <laughs> okay, we're locking in with Merchant of Venice. Yep, me and uh, Neil had the same inclination, Merchant of Venice. Yep, and uh, both teams on the board. First question, way to start strong. Wasn't Al Pacino in a version Got of Merchant of Venice? He was. Pound yeah, he of flesh. Ooh-ah. Ooh-ah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me that. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, Al, you're not even saying Shakespeare anymore. It's like, just let him do what he wants. All right, excellent. On to question two. Uh, we think one of the necessary conditions for supporting life is to have some amount of liquid water on a terrestrial body. If this is true, one of the most promising places we could find life in our own solar system is on which of Jupiter's moons? This moon is believed to contain an entire ocean beneath its 100-kilometer-thick frozen crust. Uh, we're just going to go ahead and lock in on this one as well. I think, I mean, we got the four Galilean moons. We got Io, which is volcanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got Callisto, Ganymede. Europa. I think Callisto is rocky. Uh, mm-hmm. Seem to remember Europa having ice, but I think Ganymede also has ice. Mm. Been watching the expanse, and it's like ice covered. So I don't know if there's water. So there's under like that. a thick frozen crust. So it's known for being icy, right? So yeah, it's, you a, think it's Europa, occurred to me. Or... I should have thought about Europa this a little is more. The one that's coming to me the most. Let's go with that. That sounds yeah. like your gut instinct. So that sounds right. Yeah. Okay. We'll so see. we're gonna lock in. <laughs> yeah, lock in with Europa. All right. Well, we locked in right away with just a quick guess of uh, EO, but um, should have thought about it more because uh, they use these locations a lot in the sci-fi anime series Cowboy Bebop, and Ganymede is is a water planet on that. Um, show but i don't know if that's correct but we locked in with ego uh unfortunately for the team here at triviality the correct answer is europa Uh, see i was wrong wrong on all accounts the only thing (laughs) i was going to bring to the table is anytime there's a question about europa i think of the production company europa which has nothing to do with any but there is a i think a ferry coming out of water so i should have pulled that i didn't Hmm. all right on to question three then in the fall of 1997, Ben Folds 5 had their highest chart-topping hit in the U.S. with what song, which reached number 19 on the U.S. charts and number 6 on the alternative charts? Yep. Okay. Uh, hopefully this will work for us today, the strategy, if we know it right away. Uh, we're not going to talk about it. We're locked in. I have no idea. <laughs> I, just, I just remember the song that he did on Chat Roulette at a concert, and then... Okay. No, yeah. I remember. I remember he did a, a certain cover of a, I think, NWA or Easy E song, which <laughs> will go nameless. Um, <laughs> uh, gosh, I cannot name a single Ben Folds five. I know. I'm trying to think. I'm like, <sighs> All right. What's what's a Ben Folds five sounding name? Um, 
know when to fold them. Yeah, that's a good one. I remember that one. All right, I'm I'm good with that. That's the best I yeah. can do. All right, know when to fold them. All right. Final answer. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, actually, I was talking about this song a couple days ago. We were we were talking uh, Christmas songs, and I said, technically, isn't Brick a Christmas song? So oh, okay. uh, we're gonna go uh, with yeah. Brick. Yeah, uh, I mean, it does have in the lyrics a, uh, a specific mention of getting up. Uh, it's near Christmas. And it's, it is, it's a Christmas song. Brick, yeah, by Ben Folds 5. Okay, yeah. I, I have heard song. of that. Uh, terrible. <laughs> it's a sad Christmas song. It's, yeah, it's pretty sad, yeah. All right, on to question four. Penning books such as Just a Geek, The Happiest Days of Our Lives, Hunter, and Dead Trees Give No Shelter. Which actor is more likely known for roles in Stand By Me and Toy Soldiers? I don't... Okay, so Toy Soldiers. I don't know Toy Soldiers. I can pretty much tell you that cast is Stand By Me, though. Well, yeah, we're looking at we, we, Kiefer. We know those people. Yeah, Jerry O'Connell. I was thinking maybe Kiefer. He's like kind of a... I mean, he's a music guy. I don't he's know about... A, he's a man of many many interests. Who are we forgetting? There's there's two that I'm, I always forget. We could, we could go Kiefer. I don't think he's done... Is he in Toy Soldiers? Toy Soldiers is really... I, I was thinking Small Soldiers, but Toy Soldiers is really messing with me. All right. We're locking in with Kiefer Sutherland. All right. Well, uh, we, we went through all the actors in Stand By Me, and I, there's one that we're forgetting, uh, but we went through River and Jerry O'Connell and, and Kiefer, and uh, Ken was like, it sounds like Kiefer might be the right answer because he's uh, he's a man of many talents. So we also went with Kiefer Sutherland. Well, unfortunately, Kiefer Sutherland is in Stand By Me, but he's not in Toy Soldiers. Uh, if I told you this actor is probably best known for his role in Star Trek The Next Generation, would you have it? Oh, it's not Jonathan Frax? No, no, it's... Um, oh, no, Will no, Wheaton. Wheaton. Oh, my God. It's Will oh, Wheaton. No. Oh, I knew he was in that, too. Oh, my God. I forgot he was in Stand By Me. I totally forgot about oh. Will Wheaton. All right, on to question five. I'm going to give you the uh, first synopsis of a film that shows up on IMDb, and I want you to just give me the film title. All right, this is a 2017 film. A couple's relationship is tested when uninvited guests arrive at their home, disrupting their tranquil existence. Okay, I've got it. I think I know what it is, too, but you can lock it in. Unless you want to talk it out. Let's let's talk it out just to make sure. Okay. Consensus. I'm trying to think of home invasion movies. Or uninvited guests, though. That's got to be like a cartoon thing, right? Or like yeah. little creatures. I don't know. I, d I don't think in the synopsis of a kid's movie they would put their relationship as tested. Yeah, that's true. Man, I know I've heard it. Yeah, it's it's bugging me. Let's just say the Strangers sequel. Okay. What's it called? Uh, Strangers. I don't know if it's Strangers Pray at Night. Strangers 2. Let's go with that. Okay. Okay, so I we were down to two movies. We thought about Get Out and Mother... Uh, I have, I actually did not see the full movie mother, but I just remember the first, you know, 30 minutes of it where, uh, Ed Harris shows up and all hell breaks loose. So for me, that was the, the one that fit the plot, uh, most closely. So we locked in with mother. All right. Mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we couldn't think of anything, uh, that clever um i think yeah. you're 100 percent right but we went with uh, the strangers sequel which we thought was called the strangers pray at night or something like that but you're right and uh the first um the first synopsis that shows up uh on imdb for this 2017 film uh is the description of an Ar darren aronofsky film mother so oh. it was mother awesome yeah once you said point. it i uh, it made sense because i knew the tagline too and i haven't seen mother that's if i would have seen it i think i would have remembered that but yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> all right well done so that's a strange movie i tell you is it yeah all right looks like after the first five questions uh we're playing pretty morbid over here we only have 20 points <laughs> but death and taxes has 30 so they're uh, uh nearly ahead we're hot on their tail yeah we are a giant <laughs> machine uh machine city that that goes on tank treads for some reason well it's a, it's the giant millennium park bean on wheels <laughs> and then we're in it and we're following and them. It why, smaller beans why is it on wheels we don't know <laughs> it doesn't make sense all right question six if you're a big fan of nothing but blue skies your best bet would be to live in what u.s state which averages the highest number of sunny days in fact it has the entire top 10 list 
of cities with a population of over 50,000 for sunny days? Um, I mean, immediately you'd want to go, you start throwing out like Florida because it's the sunshine, sunshine of the state. The sunshine state. <laughs> of the United States. The weather's actually <laughs> atrocious there. It is. Yeah. It's so humid and gross. Um, a lot of storms though. Yeah. What What's the big sky state? Or that's just, that has nothing to do I don't with it. Right? So. Or like oh. Arizona. Arizona makes sense. It's always sunny there. No, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, Arizona or, I mean, just for my own knowledge, what is the big sky state? Is that Montana or Wyoming? I can't remember. Um, but I don't think that those are necessarily sunny. I like Arizona. Let's do it. Okay. So we were kind of thinking about states that would fit the quality. We thought of the blue sky state, which was Montana, um, but we had to find something that had uh, 10 cities with 50,000 people. Um, so I knew Arizona had a lot of cities. We also thought, you know, Florida is a sunshine state, but there's a lot of rain there. And we thought California has a lot of cities, but a lot of different um, areas of the state. So Arizona was what we locked in with. And uh, similarly, we said Arizona. Yeah, with uh, nearly 200 days of sunshine every year in cities like uh, Tucson and Chandler, it's uh, Arizona. Ah, yeah, we had nice. basically exactly the same conversation. Nice poll. Except we didn't awesome. know what the the big sky state was. I finally was. did something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, excellent. On to question seven. Being categorized as a type of anxiety disorder by the DSM-5. Oh, I got this. Which fear is characterized by symptoms of anxiety in situations where the person perceives their environment to be unsafe with no easy way to escape? It is named for the Greek word for public or gathering spaces. That's not claustrophobia, right? No, that would be tight spaces. Um, so the Greek word for, what was it? Public or... Um, What's like a public... A hall, not a hall. Um, public or gathering spaces. it was... Um, I thought it was like agoraphobia. Oh, yeah. Agoraphobia is, yeah, where you don't want to go outside. So I thought about my uh, Greek classes from college, which have proven extremely useless, except for maybe, you know, two opportunities a year, and this is one of them. So we (laughs) locked in with agoraphobia. And uh, we said the same thing. Yep. So the agora being a uh, public or gathering space leads to agoraphobia. Ooh, good work, Neil. Yeah. Oh, it was good work on you. I was hoping I could throw you off a little bit by having the like full classical definition mm-hmm. in there because you, you tend not to think of open spaces as being hard to escape from. But Right. No, it was a good trick because we, we said claustrophobia and then, and then we were like, ah, I don't know about that. Question Got eight. Got him. Got me. Uh, question eight. Sharing its name with a classic Beatles song, the movie Can't Buy Me Love stars what two oh, actors yes. playing the lead roles? Okay, we are in... Uh, oh, we two lead actors. Yeah, because I knew you'd get one. Oh, <laughs> so it's Patrick Dempsey. It's one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's from the 80s. Of course it is. Because a nerd pays someone money to be his girlfriend. It's right up Neil's alley. That's right. <laughs> um, I'm not, I'm not going to pull her name right now. She's not like that well-known? No. No, this is like her big movie. All right, okay. guys. We are, uh, we are locked in. So we're agonizing over this because uh, I've never heard of this movie. Me neither. (laughs) Uh, You guys mentioned it's an actor you like, so or well, Neil's just a general general fan of romantic comedy. So oh oh, so it's a romantic comedy that changes who we'd go. It's called Can't Buy Me Love. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you remember, uh, it was remade with Nick Cannon as Love Don't Cost a Thing in the two thousands. It was. Yeah. Oh, we're getting more information. Let's just stay silent and wait for more. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we thought maybe actors that you guys like. So my first thought was Patrick Swayze. All right. We'll go with him for sure. And then the second. I guess we need it. I'm thinking of like you got mail and like Meg Ryan just because she's like the first um, rom-com person that pops into my head. Um. Yeah, I'm good with Meg Ryan. That's all right. We'll go with Meg guy. Ryan then. That's the only one that's coming to me right now. All right. So, so yeah, yeah, we're gonna lock in with Patrick Swayze and Meg Ryan. All right. That'd be an interesting version of this movie for sure. Why not? <laughs> um, I'm surprised Jeff didn't uh, go with the Seth Green reference because he plays the uh, lead character's brother who teaches him an African dance to take to the school that you think would bomb, but everyone loves it and joins in because it's an 80s movie. 
Um, so this movie is one of my favorite movies. I couldn't remember the the lead actress's name for the life of me, uh, but it's Amanda Peterson, but we didn't lock in with that. Um, but uh, you were right with Patrick. So Patrick Dempsey is the lead in this movie. Oh. Um, and this movie is about uh, him being a nerd who uh, likes a popular girl, and he takes his money spent uh, mowing lawns, $5,000, and he's going to get a telescope. But the girl he likes at a party spills uh, alcohol all, of, all over her mom's uh, expensive jacket. And so he offers to buy that jacket for her and clean it if she'll be his girlfriend for two weeks. So, um, so yeah, it's Patrick Dempsey. And uh, we couldn't get the other. We couldn't get Amanda Peterson. Also known as McDreamy hires a prostitute. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, they just hold hands, though. Oh, okay. And she's not a prostitute. She's not, no. He's a prostitute. <laughs> he, right he is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and if you've seen Easy A, the... Uh, I guess the, he's the one spending money, so... True. <laughs> if you've seen Easy A, the ending with the uh, the lawnmower where they're riding around with the cowboy hat, that's taken directly from Camp I Me Love. That's the ending. Uh, for oh, okay. for the record, Neil, the, uh, the tie-in that I wanted to make reference to was there's a scene in Community where they're trying to set up Abed, and uh, one half of the table only is familiar with the Love Don't Cost a Thing, and the other one is Can't Buy Me Love. And Joe McHale says, we're not Can't Buy Me Love Me or don't Love love Don't Cost a Thing anybody here. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so, yeah, that's great Joe McHale. The answer? Is uh, Amanda Peterson and Patrick Dempsey, hmm. as aforementioned. <laughs> All right, question number nine. Looking at a map, it can feel like the lines on countries have always been drawn that way. But since I've been born, more than 30 countries have been founded. When the country of Yugoslavia broke apart... Following the Yugoslav Wars of the 1990s, six countries were eventually formed. Name any two of those countries. Currently. Current. Do you need to talk? We're elected. Okay. Feel free to talk it out. So I'm thinking we have Serbia, Bosnia and Herzegovina. Mm -hmm. Uh, Montenegro, I think, was formed out of that. Uh, Macedonia, I think, came out of that. Um, Not entirely sure. Yeah, so we only have to pick two of them, right? So whichever two you feel the most confident on, yeah. Um. Okay, um, I'm most confident on Serbia and Bosnia and Herzegovina. Yeah, I agree with those two for sure. So we're gonna lock in with those two: Serbia and Bosnia and Herzegovina. All right. And on the morbid engines. Yep, I was pretty sure that uh, when Yugoslavia broke apart. Uh, uh, Czechoslovakia was part of that and also Slovakia and uh, Czechoslova- Czechoslovakia became known as Czech Republic and now it's called Czechia and uh, Slovakia is our other answer. All right. So the six countries that uh, formed following the Yugoslav Wars, not all at once um, because uh, Serbia and Montenegro were one country, but now they are two. The other ones are Croatia, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Macedonia and Slovenia. So it wasn't even close. So you didn't get a single one of them. Uh, but uh, good news for death and taxes. They are getting 10 points for that. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Great. <laughs> All right. And the final question in round one. Uh, Anna Coleman Ladd was an American artist and sculptor who reshaped the face of prosthetics following her work with disfigured soldiers injured in which war. As a way to further show the brutality of the war, she depicted a decayed corpse on a barbed wire fence in a war memorial commissioned by the Manchester by the Sea American Legion. Mm. Relactin. Mm. That was my thought. Barbed wire makes me think of World War One. Mm-hmm. Uh, guess could be World War Two. Uh, my gut is telling me World War One, though. Yeah, we can go what with that. Think? The only thing that I thought they mentioned it was funded by Manchester by the Sea American Legion. I won't, like. I wonder if that's them trying to give us a hint. I just know Manchester by the Sea is in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess we can go with World War One if that's... That's what my gut's telling me. Okay. Yeah, we'll go with World War One, locking it in. Yeah. Yeah, without much discussion, Ken and I just looked at each other and signed World War One, and I felt pretty good about it. So we went with World War One as well. Going with the gut today. Yeah. Yeah, so um, that I did... Uh, the Manchester by the Sea was more of a flavor thing. I just added that as, as mm. part of the um, larger backstory to the... Tasty. <laughs> to uh the um exhibit she had put up um but yeah no it's uh it is world war one so well done to both teams all right she's uh she's really interesting look her up um i think maybe vox did a video on her not too long ago that's uh pretty interesting so yeah that's that is interesting probably a lesser known uh no american hero here yeah Yeah. she actually has uh no uh, commendations from the u.s but i think she's won both uh french and was it uh serbian medals of honor i can't remember yeah 
All right, well, going into the swing round, uh, still a tight game, but uh, Death and Taxes are taking a slight lead, so it's uh, 70 points for Death and Taxes, and Morbid Engines uh, still chugging along uh, on Diesel. Uh, we're at 50. All right, so uh, the swing round today is going to be pretty straightforward. Um, so what we're going to do today is I'm looking for um, the top 10 countries by population's number of internet users. So what we're looking for is the list of countries by number of internet users, and I want the top 10 countries. And I think I'm going to do it a little differently today. I'm going to do uh, two points if they're on the list and two points if they're in the right number slot. So. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Okay. All right. It's a little uh, less right. than our normal five points a piece. But... Well, and again, this is by sheer number of internet users, not uh, percentage. Okay. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places. Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So um, we went through a bunch of countries trying to figure out where they had large populations and also a lot of internet users, and this is what we came up with. Number one is China, number two is India, three Brazil, four Japan, five South Korea, six US, seven Russia, eight UK, nine France, and 10 Germany. All right. Well, for the for the most part, we have many of the same countries as you guys. Oh, cool. I'm a little... <laughs> Maybe that's a good sign. I'm a little perturbed here, and I'm feeling a little morbid uh, is the word of the day, because mm. of all of our answers here that you're about to hear, Ken did not come up with Japan. Come on, man. <laughs> what do you want from me? I didn't even think of Japan, and of course, you should have been right away Japan, number one, but you didn't, and uh, mm-hmm. we're going to lose points because of that now. You're not number one anyway. It's part of your brand. You got to... Come on. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, all right. Anyway, uh, I'll let uh, Ken, you take the first five and I'll take the last five. Sure. Uh, we start with China. Then we went uh, USA as it has the third greatest population. Um, felt maybe it was uh, a little bit more Internet users than India with the second most population at three. Four would be Russia and then five would be Brazil. Take it away. And then we went Australia. Uh, number seven, Canada. Number eight, Germany. Number nine, France. And number 10, UK. Okay. Now you're gonna all going to have to help me out a little bit and score yourselves. I'll give you the okay. enough time to, because I just couldn't write the list fast enough. So I'll so give you the list. Two points if it's if, in the right slot and, and two, two points, points if, if you it's, have it. If it's so, on yeah. the list. So yeah, plus two your country and then just go in rank order. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> all right. First country, unsurprisingly, everybody got it. 800 million internet users, China. Second, very surprising, I'm sure to some of you, India with 543 million <laughs> All right. So it's only 40% of their population, but since their population is so high. Uh, United States comes in third, followed by Brazil, number five, Japan, which is the highest on this list as a percentage. 92% of people in Japan have internet access, mm-hmm. 117 million. Uh, following Japan at number six is Russia, 
Number seven is Mexico. Number eight, Germany. Number nine, I don't think this was mentioned, uh, is Indonesia. Hmm. Oh, man. And the 10th and final, uh, I'm sorry, I did lie. Japan has 92%. This country, 94% of the population of the United Kingdom. Nice. Rounds out the list at number 10. All right. So, yeah, I thought this list was pretty interesting. It's kind of surprising. So, like, yeah, India is number two, even though only 40% of people have internet access. Indonesia is also a surprise. That's only 25%, but because it's nearly yeah. 300 million people in Indonesia, it's or 240, 250 million. It's still a huge number of uh, internet users. All right. Well, after the swing round, uh, things are still head to head. It looks like Team Orbit Engines picked up an extra 20 points to bring our total to 70, and Death and Taxes picked up an extra 20 points as well, bringing them to 90. So still uh, same scores, basically. All right. So following the swing round, we'll kick it off into round two with the first question. If I saw this actor on the street, I'd only be able to say, hey, you were that guy in the Star Trek movies and 13 days and I robot. I'm normally pretty bad at actor names anyways, but this gentleman is definitely one of the more recognizable supporting actors in Hollywood. And the Star Trek films in question here are of the newer franchise. Okay. Right, I'm just going to name a bunch of actors, so... Um, just let me think about it for a second. Okay. I'm going to write them down then. Hey, how about that guy who plays Admiral Admiral Pike in Star Trek? Admiral Pike? Which one's The older that? guy. Like, he either looks like he should play a politician or like a military guy. I'm trying to remember Admiral Pike. He, like, meets Kirk in the bar. He's like, I knew your father. Um... Oh, that's who it is. It's uh no no, it's um it's the dude who played the president in a national treasure. Um Bruce Greenwood. Got it. We're in. I think we should go with um I mean, the first person you mentioned, he played McCoy, you yeah, know that. Yeah, Carl Urban. Yeah. No, he wasn't Faramir. He was uh Aomer in Lord of the Rings, and I think he was he was someone in the Thor movies. Mm-hmm. Uh but I've never seen a movie that he actually starred in. So that sounds like a good guess. Um, I'm comfortable going with that. Okay. Uh, right. We're going to lock in with Carl Urban. Carl, no. Carl Urban should be the mascot for your team, like Death in Texas. <laughs> like, not, not a bad guess. <laughs> he did star in um, Dread and uh, Doom, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ragnarok. Dread was good. Dread was great. Yeah. Dread. Well, I said, um, I was thinking about the Star Trek cast, and I go, what about that the old guy who plays uh, Admiral Pike? And he's like, I knew your father back in the day. And then uh, Neil said? Yeah, and then I said, uh, it's Bruce Greenwood. Uh, he was definitely in 13 Days. He was the president of National Treasure, which wasn't mentioned. But uh, in iRobot, he was uh, one of the villains that uh, Will Smith told uh, I am uh, allergic to bull****. So, uh, yeah, Bruce Greenwood. <laughs> Yeah, Bruce Greenwood. Oh, uh, if you uh, if you don't know the name, look up the face, and you'll definitely know what he's been in. So, most recently, uh, or not most recently, but two years ago, he was in Gerald's Game on Netflix, the Stephen mm-hmm. King adaptation. All right, we're f- we're feeding a little uh, fuel into our our engine's furnace here. <laughs> Did you eat a smaller city? <laughs> yep, we ate, we ate a smaller city. All right, on to question two. In 1961, radio astronomer Frank Drake presented a formula, now known as the Drake Equation, that estimates the number of potential intelligent civilizations in the entire universe. In contrast to this formula, which famous physicist conceived that there was an apparent contradiction between the lack of evidence and the high probability estimates for the existence of extraterrestrial civilizations? This question's hitting me in my feelings. What was that about? What's the Drake song? So, so the interesting thing here is um, what, what Jeff's describing is a disparity between the actual evidence and then the, the high probability estimates. Um, it's from, not the Drake, necess- from the previous sci- uh, scientist. It's not necessarily saying that this person doesn't think that there's aliens. Right. Um, so I think when you talk about famous physicists, you're talking Einstein, Carl Sagan, and Stephen Hawking. Mm-hmm. I think all three of them probably thought maybe aliens were were in play there i'll go hawking or sagan yeah i mean i don't know much about this this area but i do know when hawking would make statements uh he always would answer things when people would posit questions so maybe more so than sagan i don't know all right let's go Stephen hawking all right we're locked in yeah we're locked in yeah so when, when i think of intelligent life and physicists the first name that comes to mind is Enrico Fermi, 
uh, who I think I, I can't remember what exactly he said. It's like if uh, there was intelligent life out there, it might it would have contacted us already. Um, but yeah, I think it's Enrico Fermi. That's not a bad guess either. Yeah. Uh, we we just named a couple physicists of the era. Um, we landed on uh, Stephen Hawking. All right, not, so not to imply that uh, he doesn't think that there's intelligent life, just to uh, say that maybe he posited that the evidence is not quite supporting the um, the strong theory that there is alien life. So the proponent of this uh, apparent paradox uh, was basically like, yeah, I think there's a high probability that there are aliens out there, and if there's such a high probability, why haven't we discovered them yet? And that was Enrico Fermi, the Good Fermi job. paradox. Yeah. Good job on that one. <laughs> Thank you. Question three in the round. With songs such as Ain't Nobody Home, To Know You Is To Love You, and The Thrill Is Gone, all appearing in the U.S. Top 50 charts, which famous blues musician left an indelible mark on the history of rock and roll? So his clue of indelible mark on rock and roll, that it'd be someone, someone bluesy that came into the mainstream? about blues. So I mean, you have B. like B.B. King. King, yeah, Buddy Guy. Um, I mean, you could say... I think Buddy guy it's got to be someone popular enough who would have been in the top 50 top 100 i would i would go bb king here yeah he seems to be the most famous out of all of them i i, I that was that was my gut because i was just thinking of like who would have the mainstream appeal of all these guys so i yeah. thought i blues people <laughs> yeah we're just listing blues people <laughs> which one um, had that one song that went dun 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 yeah, the the only person that's coming to my mind right now is BB um, King. All right, let's go with that. We said the same. Yeah, the um, the most popular song of his by far, "The Thrill Is Gone," is uh, belongs to BB King. So it's his highest oh, uh, chart topper, and it's definitely his most famous song. Um, and uh, yeah, he uh, he worked with artists like Eric Clapton, and he had a really great career. So yeah, great artist. Yeah. yeah. So no, awesome. Well done, both teams. Great job on that one. You guys are staying neck and neck with us. We're we're just <laughs> the same spot, just moving sideways. We're like one of those old <laughs> horse games at the carnival, neck and neck. <laughs> All right, on to question four. I want you to give me the name of the movie that best matches this description. A chronically depressed Matthew Perry, working as a screenwriter, desperately tries to cure his condition when he meets the girl of his dreams. We're locked in. See, it's a romantic comedy. Can't can't do this to me, Jeff. Is it a romantic comedy? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was he in Fool's Rush In? Fool's Rush In? I haven't seen it. I don't know. So many I... romantic comedies. Um... Gosh. The only the only reason I know Fool's Rush In is because I see it on my Roku all the time for some reason. It's like, now available. And it's well, got, let's go with I think, that. I think, it's, I think it's Matthew Perry on there. Someone... They're like, somebody please watch Fool's Rush In. Yeah. <laughs> That's the All only right. movie I can think of with him in it. You know, I know, I know That's a good friends, guess as any. But, yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll go with Fool's Rush in. All right. And uh, Neil was very confident on this one. What did you guys say? I too was confident in Fool's Rush in. Neil? Yeah, that's not it. <laughs> I forgot. Oh. Because he's a real estate developer. It, yeah. looks, like, it looks like we were oh. fools and we rushed in. I think that's true. Because did you figure out the movie, Neil? Uh, no, when you say it, I'll know it. It is numb. Yeah. Numb. I don't know okay. it. I was Never so quick. Seen it. So quick to go to that DVD box with Salma <laughs> Hayek. <laughs> so, yeah, unfortunately in this case, yeah, Fools rushed in and uh, at least on this side of the table. Is that a me. comedy? Numb? No, yeah. it's not a... <laughs> I mean, this is late era. Matthew I almost Perry. never describe anything at Matthew Perry's in it aside from Friends as a comedy. But you always pick like the most random <laughs> library movie of. Oh yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So oh, what Kevin does Pollack. the girl of his dreams do? Is she a psychologist or something, or what? <laughs> uh, uh, I don't remember from that one. Are you talking about Fools Rush In? Oh no. Numb. no, no. So numb. It's it's funny. The tagline just says. Uh, a romantic comedy about a guy with hangups and the woman, who, the women who love him. Uh, it's Mar- Mary Steenburgen <laughs> and Kevin Pollak. Uh, yeah, it's like a way better cast than All the right. movie does. You know, deserves. <laughs> yeah. 
Question five. What American luggage and handbag design company founded by Barbara Bacagard and Patricia Miller in 1982 has its home in Fort Wayne, Indiana? The company produces a variety of products, including women's handbags, luggage, and travel items, in addition to fashion, home accessories, and unique gifts. Yeah, that's a good... Vera Bradley's good. Um, so, not only luggage... It doesn't sound like it's a, like a luxury item, you know? Yeah. Here. So, not so with... Vera Bradley seems like a Midwest thing. Like, it's really, really loud and bright for no reason. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll You want to go with that? that. I, yeah, All right, I, I have uh, nothing... So we're locking in with Vera Bradley. I feel like we'd be a great pub trivia team because we're we're always either on the answer together or right near it or one of us gets it. So uh, Ken immediately was like, my favorite handbag designer is Vera Bradley. And I said, <laughs> I can't disagree with you. So we went Vera Bradley. Uh, I may have cheekily omitted uh, part of Barbara's name because her full name is Barbara Bradley Bacagard. Uh, and that is Vera Bradley. Cool. Nice. <laughs> great wow. job. That's right. Thank you. Let's do a score recap. Um, let's see. Each team adds another 30 to their scores this round so far. And that brings us to Neil. That would be 100 to 120. Nice. Nice close game. I know. We haven't we haven't inched up on them. We got a... We have to take well, we a, got one and then we missed one that they got. So, And then we both rushed in foolishly. Yep. Yep. Death in Texas <laughs> has the slight edge then going into the second half of round two. All right, I'm going to give you the opening title card. I'm going to read the opening title card to a film, and I want you to tell me what movie it is. Okay? Mm-hmm. This is not going to be a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away, just for the record. And now we've learned Jeff's movie tastes here are, are almost straight-to-video movies that no one's heard of, <laughs> famous actors. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, you know, I just is uh, going for some variety. <laughs> All right. Sometime in the 23rd century... The survivors of war, overpopulation, and pollution are living in a great domed city sealed away from the forgotten world outside. Here, in an ecologically balanced world, mankind lives only for pleasure, freed by the servo mechanisms which provide everything. There's just one catch. Life must end at 30, unless reborn in the fiery ritual of carousel. Oh my gosh. I know this. The fiery fiery ritual ritual of what? Carousel. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay, I heard about this on a different podcast, I think. I've no, I've never seen it, so all I'm going off of is I the thought Logan Logan's Run had that age caveat. Yeah, I was trying to think of other movies that had the age limit, and then uh, the the fiery carousel thing is, is kind of throwing me off, but living in the dome. Logan's Run was in space, though. Yeah, I can't think of anything off right now. Let's go with Logan's Run. That's fine. Do you remember it being an old movie or a recent movie? It was an older one, but I think that sounds right for some reason. Elysium came out probably five years ago or six years ago. It was Neil Neil Blomkamp. Um, Gosh. I think it was older then. Suspiria. I think there's a... It has like a name like that for sure. Or movie and they they just remade it. I think Elysium. Like I want to go with that because that for some reason that sparked something. But... Um, gosh. Yeah. Um, what was the other one you were going to mention? The uh, one that starts with S? Suspiria. That might, that sounds good too. Like, do you know anything about that one? Oh, it had something. I, I've seen the previews for the remake and it had something to do with modeling and like body horror. I've, hmm. you know, I've never seen the original. I have no you idea. Know what what that, about. Let's go with that one. Okay. Yeah. I think they had something to do with like, I don't know. They'll tell us, I guess, but they have to be reborn at 30. Do they use like the body parts for something else? Remodeling? I don't know. But yeah, we can that... go with that one. Okay. I'm good with yeah. that. Okay. Uh, we're going to lock in with Suspiria. Uh, so Suspiria actually was, was about dance. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like witchcraft, right? Yeah. And the remake of the Dario Argento uh, movie. But uh, Ken, um, we were trying to think of, of things. I'll let him talk about it. But uh, the movie it actually is, it's funny because uh, Hollywood's been trying to remake this for like 25 years and they can't get anyone to, to actually get this movie made, but I'll let Ken take it. Yeah, I don't, I've don't. i not seen this movie. I just knew somewhere in my brain tucked away that uh, the movie Logan's Run had that uh, age limit thing attached to it. I don't know what, I don't even know what the movie's about. I just for some reason knew that. Um, yeah, the, the title card basically says the plot to the whole movie. And uh, <laughs> not really, but it, uh, it definitely gets it going. That is Logan's Run. Oh, man. So. Oh, man. 
Well done, you guys. Um, they've definitely been trying to remake it. Uh, has a young Michael York, who you might know as yep. Basil from Austin Powers. Basil oh, yeah. Exposition. <laughs> and uh, a young Farrah Fawcett. Yeah. And Jenny Agata Aww. for anybody who lives in the UK. Speaking of Michael York, I just love that that character was called Basil Exposition and he just spout, spouted exposition that whole movie. It's just brilliant. <laughs> so good. I have to rewatch that original one. It's been a while. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's pretty good. All right. So on to question seven. This 1991 Queen single is also a common phrase whose origins are uncertain, but it's believed that the phrase had origins in the circus. I know, I know they did a photo shoot. There's video footage of him doing a photo shoot, and he's like really sick. I think it was the last public appearance he had. And it might have been for that album, maybe. Did they do... They did some posthumous releases. Oh, that's possible, too. Yeah. All right. We are uncertain ourselves, uh, but we are locked in. I used to listen to the Queen, the Queen's uh, Greatest Hits album as a kid. And I think like the last track on there was The Show Must Go On. And that seemed fittingly circus-y. So we locked in with the show must go on. Yep. Uh, we uh, we just had to guess on this one. We said the greatest show on earth. But uh, once again, we, we think we're going to lose our, our advantage and uh, catching up to you guys. So the, the song um, was the 12th and final track on their 1991 album, Innuendo. Um, written mainly by Brian May, but the song chronicles the effort of Freddie Mercury continuing to perform despite approaching the end of his life. Uh, and this is The Show Must Go On. Good job. <laughs> what, do you know when he did pass away? Because it's very close to that, right? He passed away November yeah. of 91. Oh, it was that same year. Okay. Very close. On to question eight. Which famous American short story writer and Civil War veteran wrote an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge? He also wrote the following quote, and I just like the quote, which is why I wrote the question. Edible, to eat and wholesome to digest, as a worm to a toad, a toad to a snake, a snake to a pig, a pig to a man, and a man to a worm. This is one of my favorite short films of all time. Um, it was on an episode of The Twilight Zone. Uh, it was also its own short film. It's from France. And um, I'm just trying to think of the guy's name who wrote the short story. Uh, his civil war veteran yeah so the well the, the story of owl creek bridge i, I mean it's, it's so old doesn't really matter but it's basically a guy is is going to be hanged uh by the uh northern soldiers he's a confederate soldier and um he's going to be hanged and then he, he drops down off a bridge owl creek bridge and then he escapes because the the rope breaks and he goes to find his family and then spoiler alert it's one of the greatest endings of all time he goes to his family and right before he gets to his family he feels his neck tighten and he was reliving it thinking of like mm -hmm. his dream and then he, he hangs. So, um, uh, it's Ambrose. Um, Oh, uh, his first name's Ambrose. I'm just trying to think of his last name. Uh, oh, man. cause I don't even know this guy's work other than this. This is the only thing I know of his, I have no idea of his other poetry. Ambrose. Um, yeah, I just heard about this guy on a podcast too. It's Ambrose. Ambrose, Biden, Bowden, Brown, Brown. Don't uh, get hung up on that. You think you're right? I think it is a B. Ambrose. Let me think. Uh, Ambrose. He's like a general. Like he was not just a like a foot soldier. He was a. Uh, that I, heard, I don't. I heard know. this whole. This whole story about him. Blake, Black. Well, Ambrose Pierce or. With a B? Because then you said a B. Ambrose Pierce or Ambrose Beers? I or don't Beers. I, I can't remember. Um I don't I don't even know. We don't have to spell it, so um let's go because you said it was a with a B. So uh beer Bryce Beers Bright. Ambrose Beers Beers Bryce. Okay, we're not we don't have to spell it, so we'll say Ambrose Beers. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a little made up. Ambrose Bierce. Don't <laughs> Bears. We could do it mute. Yeah, we're, we're gonna unmute. I think right. they're playing today. They've uh they've locked in, so Alright, so we didn't have any names coming to us immediately. The the only thing that I could think of after thinking of short story writers from around that time, I don't even know if he wrote short stories, but I know he had kind of a bitter wit 
uh, would be Ambrose Bierce. So we locked in with Ambrose Bierce. <laughs> <laughs> so we we went through like this long conversation because. It's like my favorite, one of my I, favorite short films of all time. Okay, that, so yeah. just a brief aside, and then you feel free to yeah, go ahead. tell the, your story. I sat here stone-faced for four minutes, just just in agony as they went through like 45 different matriculations of this name to finally like try and slur together a name that they thought might be right. <laughs> and let's see what Neil said. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, I previously said something about the short film, which uh, I'm sure you guys will hear it later. But um, yeah, we, we knew it was, I knew it was Ambrose and I couldn't think of the name. And then Ken was like, I think it starts with a B. And then we went through the alphabet of B and then the next letter. And then we were like, <laughs> could it be Pierce? Or, and I was like, well, you said B. So what about Bierce or, or Beers? And we're like, we're not going to be able to spell it. So we, we said, how about Bierce? <laughs> <laughs> so we said Ambrose Bierce, <laughs> like the Bierce. Pronunciation poorly aside, I will accept uh, the correct answer of Ambrose Bierce. <laughs> nice work. Oh, that was that was some serious subconscious <laughs> subconscious effort there. Like I was just like, I hope you didn't get it. Like, I kind of remembered it sounded like pierce because like neil, neil wrote the alphabet out and then it was going through and he's like beersh and i was and he's glanced over it and kept moving and i was like if they don't get it that stays in the final edit so. you can't make that <laughs> up. Oh my God. strange occurrence at triviality bridge thanks for the episode title <laughs> <laughs> all right on to question number nine what is the name of the novel written by franz kafka published posthumously that centers around the story of Joseph K., a man arrested and prosecuted by a remote, inaccessible authority. The novel was published as an unfinished work, although its final chapter does bring things to a sort of close. We're locked in. We are locked in. So I have gotten this one wrong before. Oh, no. Do, do you Not know? This, are, are you having an I, existential crisis right now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm thinking Franz Kafka, the, the one thing that came to mind, of course, was Metamorphosis, right. which obviously isn't right. right. Um, that was how I got it wrong last time. It was coming in your head. Yeah. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, I know that that's not the one. Um, a man arrested. Uh, what I was seem to, does the trial sound familiar? I seem to remember. Oh, a, that does sound right. So, yeah, we're locking in with the trial. Well, we just can't uh, catch up to you. Uh, we want the trial as well. Ken's a huge fan of Kafka, so I made sure to write this uh, this question. And uh, no, you are correct. It is the trial. Hey, Jeff, that nice. question was very Kafka-esque. <laughs> it wasn't, All right, though. I avenged myself there. It was about <laughs> Franz Kafka. Never got it wrong again. I'm trying to remember if uh, Orson Welles did a adaptation of... Uh, of the Bierce. Of the Bierce. Be- <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. He did do an adaptation of the trial. I was trying to figure that out. Yep. All right, and the final question in the regulation, question number 10. Eastwatch by the Sea and the Shadow Tower are two of more than a dozen fortifications which abut which fictional rampart? I mean, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I, I don't in? know. Yeah. I, what was that? A butt? A butt. A butt? A yes. boot? A butt. Okay. Also, this is an adjunct answer. We're locked in. Okay, so... I think a super easy one to guess for them if they don't actually have it, but it's just the wall, mm-hmm. I think, right? Oh, yeah. That sounds right. Mm-hmm. The wall, yeah, from yeah. Song of Ice and Fire. Right, Locked yeah. In. Yep, we said uh, the same structure, and we also put uh, Castle Black as an aside there. Uh, it is the, yeah, you had written the wall, so I will accept the wall for credit. Of uh, Game of Thrones fame. It is. Also, the 1979 Pink Floyd album, of which every single question in this whole game was a track listing. No, no way. Oh. Yeah. What? So Patrick Dempsey was that their third? No, big hit? it was either uh, it was either in the question or that one's the probably the most of a reach. That one is based on the song Young Lost. <laughs> that is a big reach. <laughs> that's a big reach. That's that's very very well done, Jeff. Where does Bierce wow. come in? Yeah, where right. does where do where do where do Bierce? The uh, the quote about the worms. Uh, okay. is, is from lyrics in the Pink Floyd song. So. Cool. Where can you find the the worms and the bears? The bears. <laughs> um, We're I don't have think... some bears and watch the bears after this. <laughs> <laughs> but just in case you're curious. Um, nice. So I don't believe after 
regulation we gained any ground here uh, i believe scores going into the final round are 140 for morbid engines and holding the lead death and taxes with 160 so uh first question in the final is about planes trains or automobiles second question is about a little bit of magic uh the third question is about famous islanders uh question four is about the lion and the wolf and uh question five i forgot to write a category so i'm gonna say uh it's all about the optics all right all of the wagers are locked in so let's start with the category in planes trains or automobiles uh in planes trains or automobiles what auto manufacturer has the naming rights for not one but two nfl stadiums question number two is and a little bit of magic Beginning its development in the 1930s as a way to compress speech, which technology has found its way into music, featuring in songs like Phil Collins' In the Air Tonight, Daft Punk's Robot Rock, and the opening of Bruno Mars' 24 Karat Magic? Uh, In Famous Islanders, which famous New York Jet was a seven-time pro bowler and one of the highest-paid cornerbacks in the history of football? The Lion and the Wolf. Francis Wolfe and Alfred Lyon were jazz producers who founded the famous Blue Note jazz label in the 1930s. Some of the most famous musicians they signed included Herbie Hancock, Dexter Gordon, and which artist who gave jazz the standard moment's notice and the most brilliant cover of My Favorite Things, a clever subversion of the original source material. And on to number five and a little bit of optics. Donna Strickland is a Canadian optical physicist and 2018 Nobel Prize winner. The Nobel Prize in Physics in 2018 was awarded to both her and her uh, associate Gerard Moreau for the invention of chirped pulse amplification, a university they discovered as professors at the University of Waterloo in Canada. What kind of device is chirped pulse amplification used in? Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and get more time to actually play the games you love with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. You'll hear everything from Comic-Con coverage to the huge Diablo 4 launch. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, uh, so it looks like... Both teams are locked in. Uh, we'll have Jeff uh, go through the questions one more time and, and have, uh, have our answers, see what happened here. All right. All right. The first question was in planes, trains, and automobiles. And again, I was asking what auto manufacturer has the naming rights for not one but two NFL stadiums. Uh, let's go to the low wager of zero on this one. We will start with Morbid Engines. Yeah, so this one, uh, we know that there's the, uh, I'm not speaking correctly, we know that there's a Mercedes-Benz Arena uh, Dome in New Orleans. Yes, and then we we and then this year's super bowl in 29 or i guess 2019 super bowl is going to be in the brand new atlanta stadium uh, mercedes-benz stadium so we said mercedes-benz right and, and uh we yeah we also said mercedes-benz i got my saints shirt on today who dat <laughs> um, yeah and i was in atlanta earlier this year and i remember seeing um the new stadium there and remembering it was mercedes-benz so that's why we went with it all right, and so they uh, they had wagered five on that. So um, both teams with credit, uh, so they'll be gaining five over there at Death and Taxes. And uh, Morbid Engines, nothing gained, but uh, you did have the right answer. So well yeah. done. On to question two. Um, that was in a little bit of magic. So I wanted to know, uh, beginning in the 1930s, as a way to compress speech, what technology found its way into pop music? Um, so I will start with Death and Taxes. They wagered five on this one. Uh, we said auto-tune. All right. And uh, Morbid Engines wagering 30. So hopefully they got it right. What did you guys say? We said the vocoder. All right. So um, it is both a technology and a, I guess, musical instrument. Depends on how it's done, how it's played, which is what caused a lot of confusion here in the studio. Um, But it is the vocoder. 
So you guys have it right. And just to be clear, it is the thing where you put the tube in your mouth and you go wham wham wham. Yeah. There's several iterations. But of it's, it's also any any vocal sound that's reproduced by selecting a, a tone on an instrument. It's it's also well, it's it's a technology that they were originally using as a way to get like data transmissions across. So it's literally stands for vocal encoder, mm. and um, the yeah you can you can do it live through a. You know, basically, uh, <laughs> let's do it live. <laughs> you can do, you can do it live through um, like a tube and process it live, or like Ken was suggesting, you can basically run a MIDI file over it. Oh, and I see. Compress the speech digitally. So I prefer the tube. I want to do a whole episode with a vocoder in my mouth. <laughs> I think the answer is <laughs> <laughs> That was a much better one. Sorry. Call it triviality comes alive. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, question three had to do with famous islanders. Ken wanted to know if I was being a little cheeky when I did the categories. This one I certainly was. Um, so which famous New York Jet was a seven-time pro bowler and one of the highest-paid cornerbacks in the history of football? So uh, low wagers here go to death and taxes. They wagered zero, but what did you have to say? Um, I thought you said quarterback for the longest time, so I said Joe Namath and was really happy about it, but then I realized you were saying cornerback, and I got all sad, but we still said <laughs> Joe Namath. All right, and uh, for a reasonable 10 points, what did you have to say over at Morbid Engines? Uh, hopefully Matt's listening and is proud of me, but uh, this cornerback... He's not. He doesn't listen. He doesn't care. Uh, that's right, he doesn't listen. Um, I believe that his nickname is The Island because no one wants to throw to him, uh, and uh, I believe that's Revis, Daryl Revis, so we went with uh, Revis as our official answer. Yeah, known for his uh, man-to-man coverage that would strand receivers out on an island, that is Revis Island for uh, Daryl Revis. Darrell Rivas, sorry. So you get 10 points on that one. Sorry uh, for the cornerback, quarterback confusion. But, oh, it's uh, <laughs> fine. Still wouldn't have gotten it. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Uh, the fourth question in the final round was about the wolf and the lion. Uh, these are, of course, Francis Wolf and Alfred Lion. Why would I be talking about Game of Thrones again? Uh, and their jazz, uh, Blue Note jazz label in the 1930s. And uh, who was the artist that they signed who gave us Moments Notice and My Favorite Things? Uh, so I'll start again. Uh, I'll actually go this time to Morbid Engines. They wagered 10. Well, uh, my favorite thing that this musician uh, put out was uh, Giant Steps. But uh, yeah. Throw it uh, it's, yeah, so Blue Note, uh, my favorite place to go check out jazz in New York City. New York City. Um, <laughs> sorry, the stupid commercial. Not to be con- confused with the Brown Note, which is an entirely different club. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. Which I also frequent, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the Blue Note. Um, one of my favorite uh, musicians, my friend James, his favorite saxophone player, John Coltrane. All right, and with five points on the table, what did you say over at uh, Death and Taxes? Oh, we said Louis Armstrong because for some reason I can really think of him singing favorite things. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a really great piece, and uh, no, but that you are correct, it is John Coltrane. I thought uh, maybe Blue Train or Giant mm-hmm. Steps might be a little too easy for that mm-hmm. one, knowing the the jazz inclinations in the room. So. All right, <laughs> last question in the game. Uh, this was the fifth question and final round. Um, and this was all about optics. And uh, we we're talking about Donna Strickland, a recent Nobel Prize winner uh, for her work in optical physics. And uh, let's see, uh, there was nothing on the table for death and taxes. Why don't I start with you? What was your answer? What device is chirped pulse amplification used in? Um, Will had a cool idea for this. Um, hearing aid is what we put down. Okay. And uh, 10 points uh, on the line for Morbid Engines. What did you say? Well, that's a great answer. Um, I couldn't get the optics part out of my head, and uh, we went with a telescope. Uh, I hate to say neither team is going to be receiving credit for this. Um, her work uh, revolves around uh, the ability to get uh, lasers, like, an, like tens of orders of magnitude higher in power. So, uh, okay. Yeah. It it was like from terawatts to petawatts of power. So her, uh, her development and, uh, breakthrough with, uh, Jared, um, Gerard Moru, um, brought a whole new, uh, field of study to lasers. Now we can finally make death beams. I was going to say, so Dr. Evil is going to be calling lasers, freaking lasers (laughs) attached to their heads. So yeah. Attached to the head of Ambrose Bierce. Bierce. <laughs> who, knew, who knew before this game started there would be not one but two Austin Powers references? <laughs> I did, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you work hard enough at anything, you can make it work. So, all right. So, a final round uh, have been tabulated, and uh, we've got Death and Taxes with a score of one fifty-five, which is very nice, very respectable score. Um, that might be the highest like Jeff score ever. So. Right, it's it's graded on a curve because I'm yeah, usually such right. such a brutal hard ass. <laughs> yeah, 
and uh shockingly team morbid engines uh they uh they were trailing the whole game until the final round brought their score all the way up to 190 so they are today's cream of the crop i am the cream you know good job guys thank thank you great great job job. to you too i almost feel now that uh that i've i've that was like the conclusion to the movie right there's that one i'm sure there's one main mortal engine (laughs) country (laughs) and it's following someone your rosebud moment yeah there you go yeah right i just feel a sense of like like um the ending of that movie is just kind of hanging on my on my chest now i just feel the the relief it's cathartic yeah yeah no it was a great game you guys uh we said it earlier uh great team together but also i feel like we were all in the same universe like if we were all one pub mm-hmm. trivia team it would have been great because we we're all like there you, you either had the answer or you had it or we had it or we had it together and it was great right so uh, <laughs> any any uh parting words or text advice guys? <laughs> i mean with the for us currently the new year rolling around it's about time i have to start worrying about that so yeah so um i have a podcast starting up nice. um with my boyfriend chris it's called we watch all the movies we're gonna watch every movie from 1999 Wow. Um, and record podcast episodes about it. So it should be fun. I haven't seen pretty much all of them. Like, um, so that'd be cool. Is that the matrix here? It is. Ooh. Hmm? Yep. What a treat. Yeah. Some say 1999 is one of the the best years. 1993, 1999. (laughs) (laughs) 94 is the other one. That's 94. Yeah. 94. Like Shawshank and Jurassic Park. I thought that was 1993. Yeah. Yeah. You can find us on twitter instagram and facebook we watch all the movies and uh we'll see you there soon yeah that's gonna be exciting that Con- fun. congratulations on the podcast we watch all the movies thank you well yeah we, it was a pleasure having you on thank you for being a cruiserweight champion on patreon and uh i know me personally i'm looking forward to your magnolia episode and ken will be looking forward to the matrix and jeff the fight club episode so oh yes <laughs> uh and william what about you any any words for you Oh, just shout out to my lovely wife, Betsy, and our amazing dog, Ziggy. Um, as far move. as like interesting stuff that I'd like to plug, I don't really have too much. I just a uh, Twitter page called at I've Pet That Dog, uh, wherein a 10-year-old boy goes around petting dogs and documents all the dogs he's pet. And it's really heartwarming and the feel-good story of the year. I could so. get into that. <laughs> Anything with dogs, I'm always I saw, all in. I saw a video of like puppies learning to swim the other day, and I was like, oh my god, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> that entire uh, that entire part that he just he just recited was was very heartwarming. It was. Shout out to the wife, to the dog, and then a uh, dog petting Twitter page. And we appreciate you being an Intercontinental Champion on Patreon as well. And for both of you, uh, the support means a lot and it helps uh, keep our show going and, and uh, us doing it. So we, we thank you. Yes, thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This was great. A lot of fun. Well, I'm glad that uh, we could have you on today. We really appreciate it. And uh, I think without further ado, that's, uh, that's basically our whole show. So on behalf of... That's the game. That's the game. On behalf of uh, Ken and Neil and our guests, uh, Will and Laura, that was Triviality. All right. I had my first kiss to John Coltrane, too. There's a little Neil story. Did you really? I think so. Oh, my, sure. my first kiss was uh, during Truth or Dare. <laughs> and I, I, I picked Truth and just we'll have to figure out how I had to deal with that. So To be fair, the right John Coltrane song for that is Body and Soul. So. Hmm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh.